There's all these like circles and X's. Wow, it's like a treasure map up here. All right. Uh, good morning, Transit family. Uh, an eventful and exciting uh, morning so far. Uh, we're going to be diving into Jonah, Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn there. Quick commercial break. After the service, about 15 minutes after the service, we have a member meeting. Who's excited about some member meeting? Yeah. Don't get too excited. Pretty boring. Anyways, but we want you to come. We'll have pizza, uh, uh, snacks, and, and drinks. Um, it is really important. We're just going to celebrate uh, looking back on what God has done in 2023 uh, in our congregation, through our congregation, and where the Lord is leading us come 2024. So if you have the time, if you are an official member in the membership process or a regular attender, we invite you to come to the membership class. All right. So if you were here last week, you know we've been going through uh, the book of Jonah. We were in Jonah chapter Three And what we saw in Jonah chapter 3 is a miracle takes place. And the miracle is that Jonah actually went to Nineveh, so that's miracle number one. And Jonah preaches to Nineveh the message that God tasked the prophet Jonah to give to, um, to the Assyrians, to so the capital of the Assyrian Empire at the time, Nineveh. And said, hey, because of your wickedness and the decisions you're making, disaster, just uh, punishment for your sins is coming upon the city. Uh, in 40 days, I'm giving you to repent. And uh, it, the ball's in your court. And so a miracle happens as Jonah goes and just preaches this gospel message of that God is offering essentially grace and mercy if you turn from your sins and, t- and trust your life to him. Uh, the entire city repents from uh, the king to the people. And they even put the, the animals in sackcloth and, and fasting. And it's just this massive revival that spreads like wildfire. And God relents of the disaster he was going to bring upon Nineveh. This is like one of the most... Uh, amazing moments in redemptive history that this pagan city would be spared and would turn from their sins and receive the mercy of God. So for all intents and purposes, if this was a movie and we just finished Jonah chapter 3, you would think that, you know, if there was another chapter, it would be Jonah on horseback going westbound, the sunset back to Israel, the end, mission accomplished, you know, producer, director, God, leading part Jonah, Jonah, you know, like that, like the credits would roll. That's how this would end. But instead, we have a whole nother chapter of the Jonah narrative, Jonah chapter four. And instead of it being like Jonah going back to Israel, Jonah chapter four being about him testifying to God's uh, uh, goodness and mercy, what he saw, you know, book deals, podcasts, documentaries, all that stuff. Instead, we see like the exact opposite in Jonah four. And uh, his response to God's mercy is uh, he's furious. He's furious. Like if you were to look into the, the Hebrew uh, for when it says that he's exceedingly angry, it means he's piping hot. Uh, just kidding. That's not what it says. Uh, but he is, he is, he is, uh, instead of his hands being raised in gratitude and his eyes being, you know, filled with tears of just blown away, at God's mercy and love and compassion, his eyes are filled with rage and his fists are clenched in fury and he is furious of the audacity of God to show that Assyri- those Assyrians mercy and compassion after everything that the Assyrian Empire historically had done to his people. Uh, he's furious about it because they didn't get what they deserved. What they deserved for their historic barbarism, I can't share in church some of the things the Assyrians were known to do to POWs and to those in war and conquering villages and cities. Like, it is bad. It's, it's as bad as it gets, okay? And Jonah is furious. Is furious. And so we, 
we read Jonah and we read about his response and we can laugh and, and, and giggle and like, man, Jonah, such a, such a hoot, you know, like, look at this guy, like he's, he's such a hot mess, right? But if we're honest, as we, as we read the scriptures, they search us and, and we see that how often are we like Jonah? How often when people have sinned against us, do we harbor resentment and instead of extending forgiveness that we've received from God in Christ Jesus, we want judgment to fall on them. How often do we have prejudice in our heart against political groups or people groups or people of different religion and, 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 and it keeps us from, from uh, uh, loving them with compassion. Instead, we, 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 we heap in and throw upon them condemnation rather than loving them. How often are we like Jonah? And so my hope with this sermon and our hope with this sermon series as a whole is that God would soften our heart, that our heart would match the heart of God. He's a compassionate God. He's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. He's a God who's slow to anger, and he's a God who's abounding in steadfast love. And that's why our series theme is, is Mercy Triumphs Over Judgment, because as Christians, we gather today uh, to celebrate that in Christ Jesus, God's mercy has triumphed through his judgment for our sins, going to his precious, sinless son, so that we can have and receive his mercy and grace for all of eternity. That's why we're here. That's, what, that's the God we serve. That's the God we worship. And we celebrate today. So three things, and then we'll read the text and dive in. We're going to ask and answer this question. Why would Jonah respond this way? And why do we often respond this way? Most importantly, well, well how do we get invited out of that, out of condemnation into compassion for the sinner? And there's three things we're going to be looking at. One, let's remember what we've been given. Let's remember what we've been given in Christ Jesus. Two, let's remember who gave it. And three, let's remember to give it away. Let's remember to give away what we've been given. So let's read this text, Jonah 4, 1 through 4, and we'll pray and dive on in. Verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Remember, the context is Nineveh repented. And he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, watch this, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Let's pray. Lord, we we go quiet before you. We, we give you our attention these next few moments, our affection, our adoration, our focus. I pray that you, by your word and by your spirit, would renew our minds with what is true about your nature, God. Would you wipe away lies of the enemy where we see you as, as harsh and, and condemning and quick to anger and steadfast in disappointment? Would you renew our minds by your word and truth that, no, 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 you're, you're gracious. Far more merciful than we could ever dare think or imagine. Full, abounding in rich and steadfast love and mercy for all of eternity. That's who you are, God. That's who we celebrate today, God. And so we rejoice in that. That that's who you are. You delight, and, and that's who you are. And, and because that's your nature, you delight in showing mercy. That's what your word says. That's who our God is. And evidence of that is the cross, the son laying down his life for sinners who don't deserve it. 
And so, God, would you come and change our lives, wake us up, help us to see your, the depths of your love shown to the likes of us, and, and, and then the invitation to simply share and give away what you have given to us. Only you can do that by your word. Only you can do that by your truth, God. And in this cultural moment, in 2023, what the world needs is the church to wake up and smell the grace again of God, to wake up and smell the undeserved mercy again and get off of our moral platform, our our, 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 our high horse, and to come alongside the sinner and to love them and to tell them about a great God who has pardoned our sin and all of his work. We don't boast in our own righteousness. Our boast, like we sang about, is in Christ alone. So God, would you do that today? Oh God, do that today through this imperfect uh, vessel, God. Would you, by your spirit, move, magnify your son, Jesus, this morning in our hearts. And may we leave here just jaw on the floor that this is true about our God. This is our Father. Oh, the depths of his love. And may that, may that truth, God, of who you are and who you've promised to be to us radically transform our minds and our, and our hearts. Lord God, and when we leave here, not uh, with our chin down, shoulders slumped over, but our chin raised high, looking at the sun, seated in glory, and knowing that just as he has raised a new life, we too will raise with him, all because, all because of his mercy and his grace and his steadfast love. And so it's you we give all glory and honor today too. We pray this in your name and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. All right, let's remember what we've been given. In our text, we see Jonah is not uh, slightly frustrated, a smidge perturbed. No, he's exceedingly displeased and angry right? And you see the extent of his anger. I love the realism of the scriptures. This man doesn't hold back anymore. He's like, all right, Lord, I've been listening, but I haven't been talking back. So I mean, we had a little conversation when I was in the belly of the beast, but let's, let's, I haven't told you honestly how I feel. And now God, you sit down and I got some words for you. And then Jonah just lets God have it. He's like, one, let me tell you about that fish thing. What was the deal with that? Really? Like, couldn't have been like eagles swooped down and carried me back to Israel. I had to go under the water, submarine. Like, what's up? He didn't say that in the text. But anyways, comedic effect. But he's just, I mean, letting the Lord have it. Saying, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you? And some, some New Testament, uh, not, some biblical scholars, uh, we don't know, but have suggested that uh, Jonah very well might have lost some loved ones uh, or have known of some people who were terribly treated by the Assyrians. So this could, this could have been immensely personal to the prophet. Jonah, where, where he's saying, yes, disaster, Lord willing, will come, and I get front row seats to see disaster come to my sworn enemies who have taken a lot from me and my people, right? And so it's personal for Jonah to the extent, to the extent that Jonah says essentially this at the end. He says, I would rather die than see an Assyrian live, is what he says at the end. He said, Lord, take my life. You spared them. I would rather be dead than see them live, is what he says. That's the extent of it. And God's response is just profound, like simple, piercingly profound. And verse 4, the Lord says, do you do well to be angry? If you don't hear anything I say today, that is a beautiful thing this week. And all the trigger, oh, we're going to be so triggered this week. We're coming up to an election year, 2024. Talk about my neighbor with this. Sweating bullets for that one, right? You know, oh my gosh. Do we do well to be angry, right? When, we're, when we're righteous indignation is, is welling up in us. 
Oh, may the Holy Spirit say, hey, tone back. The main emphasis, the main thrust of, uh, of, of, I believe, the Lord talking to the prophet Jonah is he's saying, do you, Jonah, do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Like, like Jonah, <clears throat> hey, bud, let's talk. Here's a mirror. Look in the mirror, Jonah. Tell me what you see. I, I still see seaweed in your hair, bro. You just got eaten by a fish. Why did you get eaten by a fish? Because you heard, you deliberately heard a command from God. Go to Nineveh and you deliberately disobeyed me. Right? You, you're, you sinned. You've deliberately turned from God. And you, in that camp, and, and, and not, only, not only don't look at your, not, not, don't look at your sin, but in that mirror, look, you're still here. Why are you still here? I didn't, I didn't get, bring the fish to, you know, to, 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 to swallow you and to kill you. Preserved you. I've sustained you. I've been st- I haven't given up on you, Jonah. You're still my guy. You're still my guy for the job. So, so, but you don't deserve it. But oh my God, in steadfast love, I pledged my covenantal faithfulness to you, and you're still here. And and you've received mercy when you didn't deserve it. You've received grace when you didn't deserve it. And now you want you want Nineveh to get nuked, Jonah. What do you see? Do you, Jonah, do well? To do angry. So, do well to be angry. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll illustrate it this way. Uh, we just had our, uh, some of you, most of you know, uh, our fourth child. And so, you guys have been awesome bringing over uh, uh, food and snacks and dessert. And someone recently, a couple days ago, brought over vegan Oreos. Now, before you sneer or snicker, these things are delicious, all right? I was, I was a skeptic. These things are awesome. And so, my kids love them. And so here's a completely hypothetical scenario. This actually didn't happen. Um, but imagine with me, you know, my, 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 my three-year-old boy and my five-year-old daughter, they love these things. And so imagine I, 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 I hear the cookies, I give them a cookie, and I say, listen, if you want one of these, you have to come to a parent and say, can I have a cookie, and we will give you a cookie. You cannot, under any circumstances, walk into the kitchen, open the cupboard, and just eat a sleeve of Oreos, okay? Let's, don't do that, okay? Clear. It's clear. Jonah, go to, go to Nineveh. Don't go to Tarshish, Okay. And imagine with me, I see my three-year-old boy, like five minutes later, I walk into the kitchen, and my man is like drunk with Oreos. Like he's covered in Oreo dust, it's all up in his teeth, and he, he's, just, he's just caught. Like, boom, there it is. And so I go in that moment, and he knows, and I know, that in that moment, the father, he has every right to bring discipline. He violated a clear command of his father. And yet I go, hey, bud, I know what it's like. Man, Oreos, that's a tough, whew, that's a tough thing to resist, all right, man? I hear you. So you know what? Hey, bud, um, there's a lot of things I could do in this moment, but I'm going to give you grace. All right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you grace. No time out, no chores, whatever. Like, I, I'm going to give you grace, free pass. Look at me, man. Let's just, let's just not do that again. All right? Boom. He, he goes away scot-free. There was no, there was no uh, whatever you call it, um, you know, uh, uh, oh, what's that term? Anyways, completely hit a dead end. Anyways, so... <laughs> So then imagine that moment happens, and then five minutes later, my five-year-old, Steffi, sneaks one Oreo, not asleep, one Oreo, eats it, and, I, and, I'm, and there she is. I'm going, oh my gosh, here we find ourselves again. All right, hey, Stephanie, uh, you clearly, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I give the same, I'm going to extend you grace. You're free, let's not do that again. And, but if it happens again, probably you know, some consequences, but I'm going to give you grace. And I do that, but my little guy overhears it. And all of a sudden, I mean, his teeth are still filled with the Oreos, right? He's... He's, as he's yelling at me, he's spitting up Oreos. And he's saying, how dare you show her grace? How dare you show her mercy? She should be, for like the next 18 years, on an Oreo sanction, Dad. 
Like, no more Oreos until she hits 18. Look, but I get Oreos, but she doesn't. Why would you give her a free pass? And I'm going, what are you? you you're, you're coughing up Oreos in your indictment against somebody else, and you're having beef with me for my mercy. But how often, church, when we sit in the seat of judgment against others, have we, have we forgotten? Do we do well to be angry? Have we forgotten the sins that Christ has forgiven us of? Have we forgotten, right? And, and there's this tension between, like, always keeping our past sins and, and focus. I'm not trying to condemn or shame, shame anyone, but, but, but sin remembered, that is sin covered by the grace of God is a beautiful thing that humbles us and fills us with compassion and gratitude. Like humble gratitude, humble gratitude should be exactly what the church of Jesus Christ is known for. How am I being treated? Way better than I deserve. You hear me this. You don't know the half of it, of what I've been forgiven, of what God has been steadfast in his patience and love dealing with, with me. Romans 2.1 says this. This is why this is, is so important, to remember what we've been given because it changes how we treat others. Romans 2.1. Therefore, and remember, the heels of, if, you're, if you've read Romans, Romans 1 is all about the, the, the world outside of God's people and God releasing them to their sinful kind of sexual passions, right? Romans 1. The wrath of God revealed, okay? That's Romans 1. And then, you know, for Paul's Jewish audience who would get really kind of proud and self-righteous, like, yeah, we're not those pagans. This is what Paul says in Romans 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, oh man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And notice the exhortation, and we're gonna, I'm going to go sermon on the mount here in a little bit. It's not be slow to judge judge a little bit. It's don't judge. Why? You're guilty. There is nobody righteous. We are all in need of God's mercy and grace. That's, what, that's how the gospel kind of flattens the moral high ground. I'm not saying we, we go soft on our convictions and what is biblically uh, good and, and right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address that here in a little bit, but let's go Matthew uh, 7, 1 through 5, our Savior, Sermon on the Mount. Judge not. There's a command. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do you not notice the, the telephone pole that is in your own eye? Jonah, you still got seaweed in your hair from the fish ordeal due to your disobedience. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye real quick, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Jesus talking here, not me. You hypocrite, is what Jesus says. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly. To take the, the speck out of your brother's eyes. And if we're honest, man, we love to judge. It feels so good. Like, I'm judging that person and silenced their phone right now. Um, you know? <laughs> like, I would never do that. You know, just kidding. Uh, we love to judge, right? Why? Why? Because the second on this stage I point and I judge down at you, man, I feel awesome, right? Oh, I don't do that. Really, Nick? Really? Like, we, like, do I do well to judge others? Do I do well to be angry? And we completely dismiss this crystal clear, you can go in the Greek, command, do not judge, Romans 2, Matthew 7, do not judge. Oh, okay, but see, Jesus, uh, there's another verse, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, in the Apocrypha, where it says, um, if your judgment is true, fire at will. If you, put, if you put the word righteous in front of your judgment and it's accurate, then, man, you load that machine gun, get on social media, bah, 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 you just, like, judge, 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 condemn. 
as long as it's right, sorry, church, man, I, Jesus, Jesus, he's like, man, I, I should have been clearer to you guys. Like, you can judge and be hypocritical, condemning, uh, zero compassion to the sinner, uh, self-righteous Pharisees, as long as it's quote-unquote righteous. Just slap the label righteous in front of your anger and fire at will. A- anywhere in the text. And notice in our text in Jonah, pushing on some buttons here, with Jonah, the Lord doesn't even address the fact of the Assyrian sins. Because, I mean, who knows the, the depths of the depravity of Nineveh more than the omniscient God? What God isn't saying, God doesn't challenge Jonah and say, Jonah, you're wrong. They're actually not that bad. He doesn't say that. God doesn't say that about Nineveh. What God says to Jonah is, listen, essentially, I know how bad it is. I, I, I fully see that, right? Like, disaster was going to come, and I didn't want that to come. I wanted them to have mercy. What I am saying, Jonah, is do you do well to be angry? Like, what I'm doing is I want to know, I, I want to kind of sweep the leg of that soapbox you're standing on and kind of get you on a, a humble, humble ground, realizing that just as much as, 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 as their wicked and their sins were judged, you too are in the same boat. There is none righteous. We are all at the mercy of God. And I think what helps us embody this is we have to remember how much we've been given by God and we don't deserve it, right? We went through Ephesians earlier this year. How does Ephesians start? Ephesians 1, 3 will be on the screen. I love this. Blessed, it starts out with worship, with praise, with adoration. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Which blessings? All of them. He hasn't held back. We're drowning in blessings that Jesus has purchased for us. And we take it for granted. We say, oh, adoption. We have a father who has pledged his faithfulness, his provision to us. We have a family of brothers and sisters to walk alongside. We have his precious word to guide us, to, to shape us. We have the, 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 the promise, the seal of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Are you kidding me? To sanctify us. And, I mean, uh, Pastor Seth Shook and I were grabbing dinner this week, and we were both, I don't even know how we started talking about this. But we talked about how, man, it's just so interesting how what we used to watch, like, even just like five years ago, the Holy Spirit will grieve us as we're watching stuff and call us out of that. Like, like you're just sitting there and you're just like, oh, yeah, this is a, a show. It's not that bad, you know? And, and then it's just like this, this wrestling match going on. Like, yes, yeah, the Spirit of Christ is saying, hey, I don't, this ain't good. Like, don't, this is garbage. Don't watch this, right? We've, like, do we know what we've been given? And, and, and this is what, this is a principle that Jesus teaches. To whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. And so let me illustrate it this way, and then we'll, we'll move on to my next sermon because I'm running out of time. Speaking and preaching at three times speed, as I normally do. But I grew up playing ice hockey, okay? And I, I kind of I pride myself on a good hockey player. That's a good hockey player, all right? Way out of my prime. Like, don't, if you see me skating out, like, I don't think so, Nick. But back in the day, man, I was... If coach would have put me in third period, I would have, you know, anyways. Um, why was I a good hockey player? Because of the grace of my parents. You know how expensive hockey is? They footed the bill. I can't drive to practice. They drove me at like 4.30 a.m. on a Saturday to like Mites hockey games. That's dedication, right? It was solely due. Oh, and by the way, have you, have you seen the price tag on hockey gear? Like hockey sticks right now are selling for like 400 bucks. You take a slap shot, that thing breaks, the parents are in there weeping in the stands. 
Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. It's expensive. So watch this. So to who much is given, much is required. What if I went to St. James Ice Cream? I play pickup. And it's like, it's like um, not A level, B level, C level, but I go D level. And these are guys that, have, that didn't have the parents I had, didn't have the, the, the grace that was shown to me. Um, but they, they're just like, hey, started watching the Caps, want to start skating, and they're terrible. Can barely stand, can't pass the puck, tripping over their skates, you know, just falling over the boards. And I get on the ice, and I just start ripping into them. Like, give me a break, man. Get in position. Don't you know where to be in, in the defensive zone? You're the lefty, man. Get on the boards. Get in the, like, what are you doing? Pass Breakout, why are you? And I'm just, and I'm just condemning and, and judging them. But whoa, 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 let's take a step back, man. To whom much is given, much is required. And so the church of Jesus Christ, like, man, we're drowning in the grace of God. And the reason maybe we're not battling the same sins as we were 10 years ago is because solely of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us, the community of the saints, the word of God. And then we look to the lost world who doesn't have what we have, the grace that we've been given, and, and, and maybe they're not morally performing, not that we're more, but, but they're not where we are, and then we just condemn them and say, can you believe it? Look at them. Look at their sins. Whoa, 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 let's take a step back. Look at what we've been given, and we still can't get our act together. The, you mean the living God, the holy God inside of me by his spirit, Right? Oh, crying out against that community. I can't believe their, their sexual immorality. When studies would show that in the church, 70% of men are struggling with things on, looking at things online they shouldn't be looking at. And we have the scriptures, we have the spirit, we have a brotherhood, right? Like this is real talk. Look to whom much is given, much is required. How can we step on the ice when God has given us so much undeservingly and then look at people who grew up not knowing the Lord, right? Some of them through traumatic, painful, broken experiences, not knowing not knowing Christ, not knowing the scriptures, right? That's, that's where we're at. And that's what I want God to do, just soften my heart, soften our hearts to see what, oh my gosh, God, you're so gracious and kind. And I, and I receive that. And then here's why this is so important. We export to others what we import to ourselves. So as we look to Jesus and we realize that all of his blessings, every single one of them is undeserved, then guess what the church will be known for as we fix our eyes on the gospel of, of what we truly deserve and yet what God has lavished upon us in his son is all undeserved, his grace, his mercy, his steadfast love, his patience, that's what we'll give away to other people, right? To whom much is given, much is required. We've been given so much. Now the greatest joy is to give that to others. We haven't received condemnation. We've received compassion. And so now we get to not condemn the lost world, but be compassionate and invite them to the healer, the savior, and the redeemer. Moving on, let's remember who gave it. Let's remember who gave it. Jonah's indictment to God is probably one of the funniest indictments in scripture. Like he's letting the Lord have it, and, and this is why he's complaining. God, you are so nice. Why are you so nice? Why are you so kind? I'm sick and tired of your mercy, right? Where do you find a prayer like that? I mean, that's just wild. And so what's fascinating is Jonah didn't forget God's nature and God's character. He was exactly right. He, what his beef was, was the scope and the extent of God's nature. Yeah, yeah, God, I knew you were gracious to me. I knew that you loved me and you were patient with me, not them. Not them. I don't like the fact that you're kind to them. I don't like the fact that you want them to receive mercy when I've been here serving you all along. I don't know why you want them to have mercy when I've been following your law. Why are you extending your love to them as well? It's Jonah's beef. 
He's calling it accurately. Jonah's perfectly right in his assessment on Nineveh, and he's perfectly right on his assessment of God, and he's mad about it. He's angry about it. Uh, and the truth that we see in the word of God, which is God's revelation of, his, of, him, of himself, of who he is, of, of what he's done for us in the word of God, is that the heart of God is yes for his people and yes for the sinner outside the family of God. That's God's heart. And why is that God's heart? Because God is gracious, because God is merciful, because God is slow to anger. God is abounding in steadfast love. And what we need to uh, hone in on is, do we believe this about our God? Do we believe this about our God? That this is who we're coming to worship today. He's kind. He's gracious. Right? A.W. Tozer says this. I love this line. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And instead of it being kind, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, we believe this about God. Instead, we flip it. And subconsciously, we believe that God is harsh, he's condemning, he's quick to explode in anger towards us, and he's steadfast in his overall disappointment with me and my life, right? And instead, God says, that's not my revelation, that's not my heart. Don't put words in my mouth. Don't slander my character. I tell you what I'm like. And God says, this is what I'm like. I'm gracious, I'm merciful, I'm kind, right? And going back to that adage, we, we export to others what we import to ourselves. And as we begin to behold this God of, of great mercy and great kindness to us, we then will represent that God to the watching world because how we view God changes everything about how we view others. And if our view of God is harsh and, and condemning towards us, then we will be harsh and condemning towards others. And so that begs the question, well, how do we change? How do we change our view of God. If we have a warped view of God, how do we change God's view? Like, should we do a study on all these attributes? That'd be great. You know, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, bounding and steadfast love. I had this idea um, of an illustration pop into my head. Of, hey, what, what if I invited the congregation at this moment in the talk to think about someone in your life who is in a position of authority over your life? Maybe a boss, maybe a coach, maybe a teacher who embodied these virtues, who embodied, they were the embodiment of these virtues of grace and mercy and steadfast love and being slow to anger. And so for me, the person I think of is when I was in junior high, I had a, uh, I talk about this guy a lot because he had a huge impact on my life. This guy, Colonel Brian Roberts, big jacked, he's like six foot five, 200 something, Ironman athlete who just was this gentle giant who was uh, our youth pastor and genuinely loved the Lord. And he was someone that I would, I would see and be like, that's gracious, that guy's slow to anger. Like me and my buddies gave this guy a lot to be quick to anger about, right? Like made fun of him a lot, you know, like it was, I mean, we just ripped into him, but he would just, he would just laugh it off, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Like junior hires had nothing to give to him, but he was, he was opening up, you know, his house to mucho fun night on Friday nights for all of us to, to come just, just pour his, his life into us. I'm profoundly changed. And here's what's wild as I was thinking about this is Brian Roberts, I hardly remember a thing he said. I hardly remember a thing he said, but you want to know what I do remember? I remember his smile. You want to do what I do remember is when I, would, when I would be really shy and nervous going into that new youth group as a seventh grader, the door would kick wide open, and I just remember his excitement and joy to see me. Hey, it's Nick. Hey, but, oh, you want to call me Nick. So when I went to camp that summer, he thought my name was Mick. And so, <laughs> and so for the longest time, he called me Super Mick. Because he, like, he like leaned into it. Yeah, I called your name Mick, so it was wrong, but I'm going to lean into it to call you super, like, at, like superlative, super Mick. 
She goes, hey, it's Super Mick. Hey, what's up, man? Boom, side hug. Come on in. We got chili. We got video games. Well, you know, mucho fun night. And just, I was like, oh, my gosh. Somebody's excited to see me? This is amazing, right? And so who do you think of? Who's that person for you that embodies these virtues? And then realize that God takes that to the level of perfection, that that person is just a pale reflection of, of the God of mercy and grace and compassion and steadfast love. So that means mama who's up at 3 a.m., you haven't slept well in 10 years, and you're just cleaning up something from somebody in your household, and you finally cry out to God, what's God's response? Oh, she can't handle this? Can't get her act together? Too tough for you? No, what, what if God's response is, oh my gosh, my daughter is calling me. I'm hearing my daughter pray. She's calling me. She wants to connect with me. What if God, in a way, is jumping up and down and saying, I've been waiting for her to talk to me. I love it when I hear her pray. I love it when I see her pray. I'm so proud of what she's doing. What if that's God's heart to you exhausted mom, to us in our weariness, right? What if that is God's excitement, not that, not that uh, 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 like we, sometimes we have this quiet time Christianity where it feels like going to time out, Right? I gotta go to timeout, I gotta do my, you know, Hail Marys and you know, whatever. And what if God, because he's 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 merciful, he's kind, he loves us, he's abounding. What abounding means is if you knock God, what pours out is love, not hatred. What if, what if that's his heart? It is his heart. He delights in us. He gave his son, he gave his life for the joy that was set before him. So when you go to your quiet time, or on your commute to work, you turn off that podcast, you're praying, God's saying, yeah, let's go. I get to hang out with my son. I get to hear him. I get to lead him. I get to guide him. That's my heart towards him. He's excited. That's who our God is. That's who he is. That's his heart. He's kind. He's merciful. He's slow to end. He hasn't given up on you because he's steadfast in his love. One of the most Amazing things that will bring steadfast confidence in your life is knowing that there is a God in Christ Jesus who has pledged his covenantal faithfulness to you. So it's not just you and, and what you do and that you're one mistake away from getting unadopted. No, there's a father who said, I'm never giving up on you. You're mine to the very end. No one's going to snatch you from my hands. That's God's heart. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Right? He's kind. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. And so the reason I share that, you know, it's, it's uh, I'm going to call up the band. Um, we're going we're to, I'm going to segue uh, here to the conclusion. But um, sometimes we maybe subconsciously believe that, yes, God has given us grace, but he did it kind of against his will. Like you as a parent, when you say to one of your kids, hey, hey, share your toy. And the kid's like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll just give it to him, Right? And sometimes that's how we view God. So, yeah, oh, I know I'm saved by, by grace, but, but God's still really mad at me and, and hates me and is critical and, and is just, you know, just so harsh. It's like, no, the reason God has done all of this and giving us the gift of his son is because his heart drips with kindness and mercy and affection to the very people that don't deserve it. And so John three sixteen says this, and I'll conclude with this. Uh, before we take communion, we'll respond with taking communion, celebrating a the kindness and the mercy and the sacrifice of our Savior. If you uh, need communion elements, they're in the hallway. But um, we know John 3.16 really, really well, right? Some of you can just come up here, memorize it, boom, spit it out. And this is what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world 
that he gave. God, God is a God who gives because he's a God of mercy. So he gave that which is most precious to him, his son, his only son, so that whoever entrusts their lives into his care should not perish but have eternal life. And then we stop there. That's amazing. That's beautiful. That's the gospel. We don't get to verse 17, which says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Not condemnation. The ministry of Jesus is not condemnation. The ministry of Jesus is salvation to sinners, compassion to sinners. And I'll close with this sermon quote by Spurgeon. You know it's going to be a good sermon if Spurgeon's being quoted. All right. This is what he says. Reflect on this before we take the Lord's Supper together. Go where you will. You need not ransack earth to find sinners, for they are common enough. You may find them in every lane and street of every city and town and village and hamlet. It is for such that Jesus died. If you will select me the greatest, the grossest, if you will select me the grossest specimen of humanity, if he be but born of a woman, I will have hope of him yet. Because Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save sinners. Electing love has selected some of the worst. This is wrecking me right now to be made the best. Pebbles of the brook, grace turns into jewels for the crown royal. Worthless dross, he transforms into pure gold. Redeeming love has set apart many of the worst of mankind to be the reward of the Savior's passion. Effectual grace calls forth many of the vilest of the vile to sit at the table of mercy. So therefore, let none despair. That's what we celebrate with the Lord's Supper. It's the heart of God in communion, saying, I've prepared the feast. I broke my body. I'm bringing the bread. I'm bringing the wine. You just come hungry and come ready to partake of the grace that I've shown you. That's his heart. The vilest of vile invited to the table. If that doesn't change your life, my gosh, I don't know what will. And so let's go to him today. Let's thank him that there's a seat at the table for us, right? And it's all undeserved. It's all his doing. And so let's do that. Have fellowship with him. And then we'll sing.